everybody. Welcome to Rock Facts. This is our podcast about facts about Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And today we're going to be talking about how um, in 2015, a magazine called Muscle and Fitness named Dwayne The Rock Johnson as their man of the century. I'm extremely emotional about the fact that our limited run Over the Garden Wall recap series is coming to an end, but I'm a little bit happier about the fact that, you know, you came up with a cute little rock fact, and you're going to introduce us, right? Because you're uh, introducing this episode? My favorite thing about this podcast has been the fact that I took a joke that was kind of barely funny and decided to make it span 10 episodes. But in addition to that kind of funny joke that I still find very charming, thank you very much, (laughs) we recap one of our favorite television programs, Over the Garden Wall, and we're on episode 10, and you're going to introduce us now, right? Oh, yeah, I'm Allison Truch, and this is my (laughs) co-host, Brian Hamilton. I'm Brian Hamilton, that's me, your co-host. We're doing episode 10, which is simply titled... The Unknown, which is where we've been spending all of our time here in Over the Garden Wall land. Uh, At this point, it's almost like a kitschy title because we've been in The Unknown like the entire time. That's true, but this is where The Unknown really comes to a head. This is where the series ends. This is where we get the last of The Unknown that we are ever going to get from this series. Right. So it's appropriate to me that they took the central theme of the show and made it the focus for this episode. What do you say we start a recap? Um, I would like that. We start off, like, I think three or four other episodes start off with Beatrice searching around for Wart and Greg after they split ways in episode six, and this time she finds Greg finally. Yeah, she's flying up and she just barely sees him with a silhouette of the beast. And what is the beast doing with Greg? They're having a tea party. (laughs) So, like Nathan said in episode 8, the Beast has no idea what he's in for with Greg. His eternal optimism is so not the Beast's MO. I I think the first time I saw this episode, I saw that this was unfolding. That, like, the Beast was trying to do these, like, clever ruses to, like, get... Uh, to get Greg to give up hope. And seeing him solve the riddles and being like, I'll never give up. The first time I watched it made me be like, oh, he's going to be okay because like, you know, innocence prevails and like he's got a more optimistic like view of the world. Um, But it kind of looks like it didn't matter, which I'm still trying to unpack like exactly what that means. Yeah, what do you mean by it doesn't matter because it... Well, it doesn't matter by the end because he still, like, is turned into an Edelwood tree. I have a theory about this. Uh, Once we get to when he turns into an Edelwood tree, I want to give you my theory about this. We have a lot of episode before that, so if you want to save it, I gotcha. All right, I'm putting that right here in my back pocket. I'm miming that motion right now. You can't see it, but Truge can. He's not doing it. I'm not doing it. It doesn't matter. Uh, He asks Greg for a golden comb which is a golden comb of honey, because it's honeycomb. And uh, what was it? Silver spool? A silver spool. And he's like, it's just a spider web on a stick. (laughs) And he does the things the beast asks him. And I know that it doesn't really make a difference whether or not he actually does those things, but the fact that he's putting that kind of mental energy into he he's tricking him to think he can get home. And he can't at this point. Yeah, it's just... It, it's weird to me because you would think that that sort of test was designed to have Greg give up hope, 
But it doesn't seem that he does that the entire time. It's almost like a saw trap where it doesn't matter whether or not you actually complete it. You're going to die either way, but it's just going to be a fun story element for him to be put through these kind of silly tasks. And yes, I've seen three Saw movies in the past week because it's Halloween and I want to be spooky. If you're wondering, Brian and I have been together for over three years and every single day of our beautiful love that I cherish Every day he mentions a Saw movie in one way or another. <laughs> okay, that is not true. That's only happened in like the past week or so when I was getting in the spooky It's mood. only happened in the past two years of our three-year relationship. Okay, we're moving on from this. And the last challenge is to lower the sun out of the sky and into this china cup. And in, in the way that people say cellar door is the most beautiful phrase in the English sentence, English language. I'm, in the English sentence. This is one of many English sentences. In the way that people say cellar door is a beautiful sentence, I love hearing china the beast. China cup is great. I love hearing the beast say into this china cup. Well, also, I think, you know, we've already mentioned this once, but it's it, it bears repeating that, like, the voice actor for the beast is an opera like an opera actor singer however you're supposed to put that so he's like a classically trained actor and he does such a great job of making the beast so ominous while also being so proper yeah exactly it's one of my favorite things about the beast so he does it he uh positions it so that when the sun goes down it'll lower into the china cup and the beast is like okay great and then greg kind of goes like well that sounds impossible (laughs) but then there's that again eternal optimism about oh i'll never give up but at this point as soon as he says it you can see how frail he looks both him and wirt as we see in the next shot are they have bags under their eyes they're cold they're weak they're tired their voices are kind of raspy they're wearing their halloween costumes in the middle of a snowstorm (laughs) it's not they're not well they are not well at all and you can imagine the beast one of the things that the beast is doing is sapping greg's energy in a bunch of supernatural ways to weaken him and let the tree grow around him the same way that wart did in episode eight when the tree just grew around him So after this vignette, we see that Beatrice is kind of flown back in the wind and she hits Wirt. Yeah, they have a nice reunion where uh, their common goal is to find, well, their common goal is to find people. All of a sudden, Beatrice says, like, Wirt goes to Beatrice and he's like, Beatrice, go home. Because like, you know, they had literally just been with her parents. And she goes, no, not until we find Greg. And they pause on Wirt's face for like a good second, like a real beat. And then Wirt goes, okay. And to me, looking back, I feel like that might have been Wirt being like, listen, I have the scissors. You can go if you want, but accepting her help anyway. Exactly. The fact, the reveal at the end that he has the scissors is a nice little way to cap off their relationship. And the the way he says, yeah, I was kind of mad at you. And this episode to me is the transition from uh, him being mad at Beatrice to accepting her help and her being a valuable part of the party again. Yeah, it's their reconciliation. We cut to the woodsman who has the uh, music box motif of the main opening theme of the show as he's uh, scouring around looking for uh, Adelwood to burn into his lantern. And this is uh, his arc in this episode is realizing the lantern is fake 
or not fake, but it's not his daughter. So seeing the last semblances of him freaking out about Adelwood is a nice way to cap that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the best like tie-in moments is that the piece of Adelwood he finds that he tries to grind like into oil um, are the two pieces that he cracks in the first episode when they're all by oh. the fire. And he goes, and they're like, what do you do? And he's like, I grind the Adelwood for the oil. He takes a snip, a stick and he snaps it and he kind of throws it to the side because at that point he had a ton of Adelwood but he takes it and he throws it to the side and that is the piece of Adelwood he finds when he tries to do the final oil I love that so so much yeah it's this story is so circular there's so much circular storytelling that happens in this whole thing and it's just remarkable there's Chekhov's guns everywhere where they set something off and then pay them off really really well by the end and we're at the end and it's Every time I watch this episode, it hits me really hard in the same way that, say, the end of The Adventure Zone hits me really, really hard because it's the end. And narratively, they bring everything back around. And this is one of those little elements where that happens. And I think that, like, I, I had a little bit of worry because yesterday, Brian and I watched and recorded the ninth episode of the series. So today we watched the tenth episode. And I was a little worried that I wouldn't have as much emotional impact because, like, yo, you know, a whole day had passed. But, like... I still ended up crying at the end of this episode. It's so incredible how that continues to happen, even when it's like in a vacuum. Yeah, same. This is the first time I've ever seen individual episodes of Over the Garden Wall, because we always marathon it. And even though we are watching, like when we when we watched, I think, episodes five, six, and seven all in one night, that was the first time I'd ever done that. This is the first time I've ever just watched the end of the series. Yeah. It's still so emotionally powerful. Yeah, it totally is. We get a moment of him trying to grind that wood into oil. And as he's doing that, there's a beam that comes off of his uh, of his mill or whatever is left of his mill after it was broken in episode one. And that hopelessness is driving him to not give up, but do something. And I think that's another big theme of this episode is not giving up and standing up to whatever it is. Because the, as scary as the final confrontation is... It's just standing up to the beast. Yeah, it's totally empowering because Wirt acts in a way that would be totally out of character in the first couple episodes, but he's done so much growing that it's not out of character anymore. And then the woodsman hears Come Wayward Souls as sung by our opera singing friend, the beast. And that is what draws him out of the mill and into the woods. At this point, it's dark. Uh, I don't know what time it was when the episode starts. I don't know how much time has passed, but I'm sure... It was sure... like dusk. Yeah, it was dusk, but it was so snowy and creepy that it may as well have been, say, morning or maybe cloudy enough to be noon, but we well, wouldn't know. it was dusk because when Greg goes to, like, capture the moon in the teacup, the beast goes, but you have to hurry because sunset's coming. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so it was sunset and it was setting and that's how we got the, the sun into the china cup. Yeah. Uh, the woodsman goes into the woods to f hear the singing and there is revealed the beast with Greg. He says, hello, woodsman. I have a gift for you. A new Adelwood tree. And this is the reveal that Adelwood trees are lost souls. Yeah, it's very upsetting. I forget, is this confirmed any earlier in the episode? We've talked about, I think, in episode four, when uh, one of the songs in the tavern was, he'll turn you into a tree for his lantern to burn. And then Wirt thinks, huh, that tree has a face in it. That's weird. Is this the first explicit mention? This is the first time where we actually know that that happens. I feel like 
earlier in the series, we might think it's more of a magical realism sort of scenario. Um, we haven't seen it happen actually. This is the first time we're seeing how the sausage is made, which is the beast turns lost souls into a tree. And we can see the transition of Greg from, you know, frail little boy to leaves and twigs and everything growing around him. And then there, you know, the woodsman's having a dilemma. And then is that when Wirt and Beatrice stumble upon them? Yes, there's a little bit of dialogue there where the beast bullies the woodsman into like, oh, you don't care anymore, do you? Don't you want this to, uh, don't you want fuel for your lantern? Do you not care about your daughter's soul? And it becomes apparent that the woodsman's like, I'm just not going to do this. It becomes really apparent that he has reached, that he has reached the end of what he's capable and willing to do. Do not speak of my daughter. She would not have wished this because uh, the beast is taunting him with the thought of saving his daughter. And when he realizes how extreme this is to, you know, grind these children's souls, he decides not to and starts peeling off the uh, twigs and leaves and sticks. Yeah. And that's when Wirt and Beatrice come along. Um, and clearly, like, they're very upset. And as, and it, I think the Beast takes that opportune moment to realize that Word is so upset to be like, perhaps we can make a deal. They, yeah, the taunting of the Beast, he's a bully. He's making the people around him do the things that he needs to survive while also taking their energy and feeding it into this dark depression forest. Uh, one of the things uh, I want to bring up in this scene is the music which you and I realized a few weeks ago when we were listening to the soundtrack for the first time, there's a song on the soundtrack. I'll put a link to it in the show notes because it is hauntingly beautiful once you realize what it is. Potatoes et molassus. You can hear in the background of this uh, of this scene a very somber child singing a song. And I always assumed it was Greg when I heard it, but I didn't realize it actually truly was until we realized what the lyrics were. It is a bummer Latin version of potatoes and molasses. It's <laughs> it's slow, it's in Latin, and there's some sort of death of innocence because the lyrics are very silly. Potatoes and molasses, if you can't see them, put on your glasses. Things like that that make this version of the song so much more depressing when you realize it is a loss of innocence, giving up and giving into depression and the beast and the forest to be turned into someone else's fuel. Right. I, I love it. And it also ends with, uh, on the soundtrack, I don't know if you hear this in the show. Um, no, no, you do, because I was listening to it as we as we were watching episode 10 just now. We end that song with a reprise of the last verse of Come Wayward Souls, which is also sung by Greg. And the lyrics are, I'm going to pull them up now, Grow tiny seed, you are called to the trees. Rise till your leaves fill the sky, until your sighs fill the air in the night. Lift your mighty limbs and give praise to the fire, is what Greg sings at the end of Come Wayward Souls, and again at the end of Potatoes and Et Molasus. <laughs> I think that actually, I don't think it cuts in the show. I think that it does happen in the show. It does happen, and dear God, is that emotional. But among all of this, I just want to point out, it's like they're they're like ripping all the stuff off of him and he's coughing up leaves and Beatrice goes, oh God, the, the leaves are growing inside of him. And he goes, nah, I was just eating leaves. He's still Greg. Even when he's a shell of a human, he's still Greg. When uh, Beatrice and Wirt find him, he says, I did it, Wirt. I beat the beast. 
But in doing that, he sacrificed himself for his brother. And that's part of, you know, earlier he says, just gotta wait, just gotta wait. My theory is that he was saying, just gotta wait for Wurt, because he's totally gonna show up. Right. Oh, God. Their relationship and the way that they reconcile a little bit later in the episode is so much more impactful because we just saw episode nine and their regular home life. Yeah, for sure. And so that's when the Beast kind of takes this moment to ask Wirt if he wants to take the lantern because it's it's very clear that the woodsman won't do it anymore now that he knows what the Edelwood is. Um, and Wirt, for a, ver- for a split second, is going over and Beatrice is kind of like, no, Wirt. And Wirt's walking over and then he like goes to put the lantern down and there's like a bell and he goes, wait, no, that's dumb. I'm not going to wander the woods for the rest of my life. <laughs> right. It's so great. And then he goes, it's almost like your soul is caught in the lantern. And at that point, the all of the light around them is sucked up into the lantern. There is no more light outside of the lantern. The beast does this like shiver motion. And also his eyes have the eyes of like the dog and like it, it becomes a lot more creepy. We get, yeah, we get an extreme close-up of his eyes, and we can see that they're not just white, but they're yellow and blue and a little bit of pink in there, yeah. and they're dilated in such a creepy way. It's And he asks, do you want to know what true darkness is? And then Wirt, his voice cracks. <laughs> he goes, do notes. you? But then his voice cracks, and then he, like, composes himself and, go, and <clears> opens <throat> the lantern and goes, do you? Oh, my. It's, like, the single most coming-of-age moment for him that he's not letting his voice crack and being a little kid anymore. He is composing himself. He is confident in himself, and he's saying, do you? As he opens the lantern and prepares to blow it out. So, yeah. And then, um, after that, he doesn't blow it out. He gives it back to the woodsman, being like, I've got my own baggage. We're going home. And then takes the axe and frees Greg and in that moment, then the woodsman and the beast um, kind of get into another, like, little tiff where um, the woodsman ultimately burns out the lantern. We see that, like, oh, totally horrifying, like, body shot of the beast. Yeah, I want to talk about this. I have never... I We've done a lot of research and taken to the internet to hear other people's thoughts and screenshots of things for this uh, this podcast. I have never Googled what the beast looks like. I'm sure someone horrifying. has I'm sure someone has screenshotted that moment so that we can always we can just look at it and see what it is but Why would you? Exactly. I never want to that one single frame where you can see the entire beast's body in the lantern is terrifying. Yeah, it's awful. Uh it it's really great though and it's wonderful to see the woodsman finally standing up for himself. As we see earlier when he is miserable and really not okay with where he is, he's realizing, oh, I can do this. I can break free of this uh, lantern to bear, quite literally, and have my life back. And then after the woodsman takes control and, like, lets out the light, we're in total blackness and we don't see any visuals, but work goes, goodbye, Beatrice. And Beatrice goes, goodbye, Wirt. If there were any visuals for that shot, what do you think they would be? I really don't know. I I think it's supposed to be, like, purposefully obscure how they get back into the real world. I think so, too. And I like that uh, them actually finally getting back into the real world coincides with Wirt and Greg deciding they are going to go home. The entire series, they've been looking for a way home, 
but this time they have decided we are going home and that's how they get home it's the uh click your heels together three times of over the garden wall where they could have just gotten home anytime by not giving into the beast or being scared of the beast at all and that's how work comes to grabs greg and the frog and then like gets out of the water and then the ambulances take them and also uh the frog has a little space in the ambulance (laughs) the frog has a nice little cozy little blanket and it's so incredibly sweet i love that they took the time and energy and effort to give the frog something to do after they leave the unknown and in the unknown we learn that this frog can sing and can sign a record contract and do a whole bunch of other things. But here in the real world, he's just a frog, and he's still a valuable member of their group. And I love that. And then they wake up in the hospital, and Greg is, like, dancing around. It's the first costume change of the entire series. Um, and Wirt has uh, George Washington, and... Uh, calls him Jason Funderburger, <laughs> and then he says, it's our frog, and Jason Funderburger goes, our frog? No, our frog. There's a moment, this is something we didn't talk about while we were in the unknown, but the very last thing that Greg says before uh, going under as the uh, uh, as an Adelwood tree, he says, Jason Funderburger, what a perfect name for a frog, and then goes down. And then here he is, Jason Funderburger the frog and Jason Funderburger the person finally meeting for the first time. And it's a really funny moment where the real human Jason is trying to assert himself in the situation. Oh, that's me. No, no, it's our frog, Jason. And- also, in that scene, you can see that he's holding the hand of the girl that's dressed as the bird for Halloween. The one where um, in the graveyard, he goes to Sarah and tries to hold her hands. And she's like, can you let go of my hands now? And then there's another girl who goes, you can hold my hand in Thunderburger. I don't care. <laughs> and he's holding her hand in the hospital. I guess their relationship developed in that however long they were in the water or running away from the police. And also Sarah's there and she like hands Wirt the tape and it's kind of like, hey, so I don't have a a tape player. It was so um, about this. And Wirt's assumption is that she listened and his life is over now. And he goes, oh, well, yeah, sorry, I, yeah, I don't have a a tape player, which, as you learned last episode, listeners, neither do we. (laughs) Me and Halston Trude do not own a tape player. I think that this actually makes more of a case for this being set in the 2000s, because I feel like, I don't know, there's enough timelessness that happens in in the ninth episode to make me think that it is possible that this happens in the 2000s, because... Like, you wouldn't have a a tape player during that time. I don't know how realistic it would be if it was, like, the 80s and you didn't have a tape player. I guess so. There's... I I, I don't quite understand the... When tape players became an enthusiast thing where you have to get a $50 cassette to nobody having them anymore and it's hard to find one like we are now. Somewhere in there is the heyday of uh, cassette tapes and this is probably not that in that case or she broke it or uh, something like that or they lost theirs. I don't know. Uh, But yeah, that makes sense to me that they, if she didn't have a record player, it gives a nice excuse for them to hang out, which is her actual point. So can we listen together? And then he says, well, maybe we can listen to some other tapes first and work our way up to this one. (laughs) Which is making future plans and committing to the fact that they're going to be together for a little while. Or at least listen to a bunch of tapes together for a little while. And then the line, Brian. 
And so the story is complete and everybody is satisfied with the ending and so on and so forth. <laughs> it's so... This was what stood out to me about the show the first time I saw it was, oh, they're kind of shutting down the idea of fan theories and any expanded universes because of this. But that's not true. There are definitely other fan theories and definitely extra things to think about. And I like the idea that they went into this thinking, oh, yeah, everyone's fine with the ending. Yeah, so what? So what? I don't care. Yeah, I think that it it caps everything off nicely and also, like, is maybe a little cheeky, is a little self-aware that, like, there's a lot of uh, strings that need to be tied up. And so in the next, like, in the rest of the episode, we're left with a bunch of vignettes the same way that we were opening with vignettes that show what happened to everyone. This Um, is my theory that I was talking to you about in the very first part of this episode was if none of that actually mattered and Wirt and Greg were able to leave the unknown at any time and they were able to get home and stay safe and get together with Sarah, then what's the point of the narrator saying, and everyone's fine and this is the end of the story and everyone's satisfied and so on and so forth. But then the narrator goes, but over the garden wall, and we see vignettes of every other character that we've seen so far in an echoing of the very opening of the series. Also, before we talk about the vignettes, I want to say that when we're in the hospital, Greg is dancing around with the frog and we can see the bell still in the frog's belly. Oh, yeah, that's right. I keep forgetting about that. Which lends to the fact that like it either definitely actually happened or I read this theory on Over the Garden Wall's wiki page, which, by the way, we've been referencing like this whole time. <laughs> um, and... It was someone's theory is that, like, it might mean that instead of being in their real, like, reality, they're actually in another reality that is, like, closer to their own, but is still, like, kind of magical. I'm not necessarily... I, I don't think that I believe that. Yeah, that doesn't make so much sense to me. It's okay that they imply that all of this actually happened. I'm okay with that. Because... Even if it didn't happen, the journey was still so incredible. Well, and it's the classic fairy tale thing. It really, like, makes the classic fairy tale arc happen for this show. That, like, it wasn't all for naught. It wasn't that, like, oh, and they woke up and it was a dream. Exactly. It wasn't a cop-out that this was a dream. There were real stakes to them being in the unknown. Because, as shown in episode 9, they were in danger of actually dying in the real world. Right. Uh, but we get to see all these other characters. Let's talk about the vignettes. What's the one that happens first? The first one that happens, I believe, is the woodsman, where mm. he goes back. You know what? We have the technology. I'm going to pull it up on my phone right now, and we're going to watch. All right, so we start off with the woodsman at his uh, old house. This is not the mill that he's been in the entire rest of the series. And who comes out onto the porch but his daughter? And they have a moment of reconciliation, and you should read the comic if you want to know more about that. (laughs) And I love that it's not a super overwhelming embrace. It's just a soft moment where they see each other for the first time, and then they cut away. And they're just so happy to see each other. Uh, There's the fish that's fishing, and then there's Lorna. And he catches a turtle. He catches a turtle here? Yeah. Oh, I thought he was just static. No, he catches a turtle. I love that we notice different things, and when we come together, we unearth fun little secrets about Over the Garden Wall together. I love that I notice everything, and you're just along for the ride. I am along for the ride, and I'm dumb and don't see things. Uh, then we see Lorna and Auntie Whispers. Uh, they are sitting together drinking tea. and There's kind of a shot initially of her like looking out a window and then she looks over and it's her and auntie whispers having tea to show like kind of the arc of their relationship 
they are okay. They are together, uh, they're family. And it's a nice way to cap off uh, the ending of episode seven where she says, no, no, we're family. Even though she says, oh, she's not my real aunt. And uh, that's a nice little uh, sweet thing. There's a frog from the frog boat uh, coming up for air and just being like, ah, how lovely hibernation is. (laughs) Um, There is Quincy and Fred the horse. Oh, yeah, I forgot that vignette. It's uh, I, I believe it's a portrait of them. It's like a new portrait. Oh, and Marguerite looks at it, is looking at it. Yes, mirroring Endicott's vignette from the very beginning where he's looking at a painting and a ghost, quote-unquote ghost, uh, whooshes behind him. So it's a nice little reversal. And then we see, this is something we've never brought up. In the opening vignette is a series of little toys, uh, including the Highwayman. And now, in this version of the toy shelf, is Wart and Greg. And the toy maker at the pub made them for them. I think I, I need to go back and watch episode four again so I can see, but I think he was making their figures while they were there. Yeah, he totally was. Miss Langtree, Jimmy Brown, and some of the animal students are at the circus from the beginning. Which is very cute. It's very, very cute. And he, he got a job at the circus and uh, he got stuck in the dang suit. <laughs> I love that. It's... So we're just going through and reading off a list of things and characters that happen at the end of the series. But look at us. They're things that are creating these emotional responses in us about these characters that we've seen for maybe 10 minutes well, at a time. Well, it's letting us know that everyone is okay and that there's not, we don't need to worry about anyone. We don't need to worry about anyone and they are okay. Uh, it's, it's so wonderful. We've also got Enoch from uh, Hard Times with the Huskin Bee. Where he, all of a sudden, what pops out of the top is a little black cat. Little black cat. I love it. It's just hanging out and being friendly and being part of uh, part of the fall celebration. And then all of a sudden, we're with Beatrice and her family while her mom like asks, like tells her to eat dirt. <laughs> there's uh, there's a moment in episode nine after Wirt wakes up from being uh, rescued by Beatrice, where. Beatrice's mom in bird form says, eat some dirt. And it's a nice little callback to that where I guess the family joke now is eat your dirt because they're being turned into bluebirds. And I love the look that Beatrice gives when she eats food. She's like, oh, fine. And then gives a little smile. Uh, And this whole time is a reprise of the very beginning song, How the Gentle Wind Beckons Through the Leaves as Autumn Colors Fall, as sung by uh, Jason Funderburger, the frog. And it ends right there with... The frog looking into the camera. There is one more vignette. But it's at the very end. Okay. It's after. It's after. I'm not forgetting this. Um, The frog sings directly into the camera the loveliest lies of all. The camera spins away from... Or uh, is it the camera or the piano that spins? The piano spins. I always figured it was the camera for some reason. No, the piano spins. So the piano spins away, and as the last chords of the song are played... Greg returns the rock to old lady Daniel's house. And it's just really sweet. It's I want to so talk sweet. I want to talk more about this this closing song. Mhm. Because the lyrics to the song, let's talk about it again. How the gentle wind beckons through the leaves as autumn colors fall. And then dancing in a swirl of golden memories, the loveliest lies of all, the loveliest lies of all. And that I think also speaks to the fact that like we're we're left wondering if all of this really happened, and it kind of leaves us on this note that like well maybe it didn't, but like wasn't it such a great ride? 
they're the loveliest lies. It doesn't even matter if they are lies. They're still lovely. Right. It's so incredibly, incredibly sweet and endearing that they end the show on that note where, who cares? But look at all these characters you love. Look at all these characters that we made you love. <laughs> look at this boy that you love now because you showed it to him when you first started dating. That's very, very true. I feel like this is one of the bedrocks of our relationship is watching this show together. And this is why we wanted to finally do this like proper podcast about it. Yeah, we did one episode that was maybe an hour and a half long uh, two two or three years ago, but we wanted to uh, commit an episode to each episode. And here we are on the Incomparable Network, recapping over the garden wall, and we're at the end. This is surprisingly bittersweet. We're going to go back to doing our regular podcast, Most Important Meal, immediately after this, but it's uh, still so weird to think that this is the end. Well, we hope everyone enjoyed this. We had such a fun time creating this, like, little mini-series within TV. Um, again, if you want to, like, reach out, our Twitters are at Allison Truge and at underscore Brian Hamilton. And we have our own show uh, called Most Important Meal. You can find us uh, on Twitter at MIM Podcast. Also, people post their breakfast. It's a, it's a breakfast <laughs> podcast where we talk about how much we like each other. And breakfasts. <laughs> A massive, massive, massive thank you to Jason Snell and The Incomparable for letting us hang out and post episodes onto the TV feed. You can find a whole bunch of other stuff there, including my recaps of Game of Thrones. People are doing uh, The Good Place and Arrow and The Defenders. And relatively soon, Allison Truge, you, me, Micah Sargent, and uh, Joe Steele, and probably Yasmin, are coming back together for episode... Uh, two of or rather season two of stranger things recap so you can find all of that on the incomparable.com right next to where you found this podcast like and subscribe <laughs> thank you so so much for listening and we'll see you next time i can't say that anymore can i how the gentle wind beckons through the leaves as, as autumn, autumn colors Dancing in a swirl of golden memories, the loveliest lies of all.